to the driven church. They, as, as you guys know, we're uh, uh, in the book of Joshua. We're studying through the book of Joshua. And uh, we've not made it very far in the first two weeks, have we? I think we've gotten through nine verses. So we still have uh, 23 and a half chapters to go. So we've got a long road ahead of us. And, um, but uh, there's, there's some really, really powerful stuff in the book of Joshua. I think it's going to be to the benefit of uh, myself in studying and preparing and uh, to the benefit of you as well uh, to hear uh, God's word and, and to study God's word with me and uh, with one another as we go through this scripture, okay? Hey, today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through uh, 18, I believe it is. And uh, so, uh, if you will, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we'll start on verse 10. Now, I will say, and you guys already know this, that in Joshua, in the first chapter, what we're uh, actually looking at is this transition moment between Moses being the leader of the nation of Israel and Joshua becoming the shepherd of the a nation of Israel. And so through those first nine verses, what we witnessed, we were allowed, if you'll allow me to use the term, we were allowed to eavesdrop on a conversation between God and Joshua. So that conversation was taking place. It was documented, so we got to read it, uh, the transcript of that conversation. And where we find ourselves today is Joshua's first response to that conversation that he had had with God. Now, the incredible thing about it, you remember what God continued to say to Joshua. He kept saying to him, reiterating to him, to be strong and courageous and not to be afraid and not to be discouraged, right? Because he's about to undertake a monumental task in leading the nation forward after the death of Moses. Now, you guys know, because we talked about it last week, we kind of elaborated on it last week, we talked about the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek, and then the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. We, we kind of touched on that, and that's one of the things we'll need to kind of remember as we make reference to certain things uh, as we move forward. But in reference to last week, when he said for Joshua to be strong, we understand that to mean to man up or to mature up, to play the part of the leader. And when he said for him not to be afraid, the word afraid literally carries with it the connotation of one who is shrinking down. So God was telling him to man up, to grow up, to rise up, to stand up, and not to shrink down, which is just the opposite of manning up. And we, we spoke about the fact that we cannot have uh, this deviation in our minds and our spirits where we can be a split person, multiple spiritual personalities to the degree that in one, in one phase of our life we're manning up and another phase of our life we're uh, shrinking down. You know what I'm talking about? We, we have to be sound and sure about uh, what we're doing and what God is saying to us. All right? And so God is saying this now to Joshua to be strong and courageous. This is about to happen. And now we're going to look at this first and we're going to start reading Joshua's response and we're just going to kind of unpack this. Everybody good? Everybody knows where we're at. We're moving forward now. All right? Back on track, right? The wheels are back on track. Now we're making progress forward. Joshua chapter 1 Verse 10, let's pray first. Let's do that, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, the very words I read are your words. They're not my words. And the very words we're going to share, Lord, are your words. And so, Lord, what we want to do as your servant this morning is we want to handle your word correct, correctly, rightfully, dividing it, understanding it, sharing it, consuming it, we want to be found faithful in handling your word this morning. Protect your people. Protect your people, Lord, from the flaws of a mere man who, who may misunderstand something. I pray, Lord, that you would protect their hearts and their minds if that be the case. But what I ask above and beyond even that, Lord, is that you would protect me from harming your word. That you would guard your word even from me. That I might handle it rightfully. 
We're all going to be subject to the things that we say, the way we interpret, the way that we share, the way that we live. And so, Father, this isn't one of those moments that is, that is exempt of your scrutiny of how your word is handled. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would do that even now for your sons and daughters and your sons and daughters in the name of Jesus says, Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can follow on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you. If you do, turn with me. Joshua chapter 1. So this is what the scripture says. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here. You will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Now when he says right off the bat, I want you to understand this, when he says, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, these were men commanded under Joshua to their respected tribes as representatives per se. You remember in the scripture where God tells Moses, man, to divvy up the responsibility amongst the people, tens and, and fifties and hundreds and thousands. These are some of those officers that were serving under Moses, now served under Joshua to disseminate to the masses the direction of God because one man could not do that and we'll touch on that. So I want you to understand what is taking place right here. And he says this, go through the camp and tell the people. So he's delegating this responsibility to these officers to go throughout this camp and, and to tell the people. Understand, we're talking two million at least, and that's on a very conservative number. It could be as many as three or four million. So you understand at this moment that, that he has to delegate this. It isn't as though Joshua could gather two million people on the, on the short side of, of the number and speak to two million people. This, that was an impossibility. So you understand the need to be able to, to relinquish some of that responsibility to these officers for them then to go out and to disseminate this amongst the people. Now the incredible thing about it is that these officers probably had officers under them. So this information was being passed along so that no one would be left out. Everyone is getting the message that God has given Joshua now that Joshua is giving them, right? No one's left out of what God is saying. And so in this moment, in this moment, Joshua immediately, immediately acts upon what God has said. And so he, he literally, he doesn't hold this. He didn't, well, let me think about how I am to handle this, uh, what, I, what I need to do to try to get this out there. Immediately, he, he gathers these officers and he gives them this information. And in this moment, what you begin to see right out of the gate is Joshua being strong and being courageous, being a leader, right? Right? I mean, you sit, I mean right here, right out of the gate. And this is what the scripture says. Go through the camp and tell the people what? Get your provisions ready. Now, listen, if you're Joshua and you're transitioning, and man, you've got to step into these large shoes of Moses, and you know no matter how hard you try, man, these shoes just aren't going to fit, right? I mean, that's a difficult place. At some point, you've got to realize, I've got to get my own shoes of leadership on, right? Listen, every once in a while... Like every day, I take out the garbage at the house, right? Well, right there at the door, uh, there's a couple pair of Crocs. Anybody here wear Crocs? I know they're outdated. They're, you know, they're like lazy man shoes. Anybody got Crocs? Oh, I'll take it back. I, uh, they're, they're smart man shoes. Anybody got Crocs? <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, just so happens that Clark and I have the exact same color Crocs. Black. Right? They make my feet look skinny, so I wear them. All right, so every once in a while, Gus, I'll go through there and I'll be taking out the trash and, and I'll look down and I'll slip on a pair of Crocs. And I'll, I'll, I'll slip on the wrong pair of Crocs. Well, I'm, I'm busting out a strong nine in my shoes. All right, 
Clark's busting out a strong 12 and a half or whatever it might be. And you think, not only are your shoes skinny, but your eyes are blind. How can you not see that? But it doesn't take long before I realize I'm not even off the porch, man. I'm just barely exiting the doorway. And I realize, man, I've got the wrong shoes on. And if I want to any level, traverse those steps, traverse the drive, and get my garbage to the right location, the first thing I need to do is get the right shoes on, man. And so, so here is Joshua having to fill these shoes of Moses, but at some point he's got to become himself in God and not try to be Moses. You and I need to, in our lives at some point, realize that God has called you. Y-O-U. You. He hasn't called you to be me. Praise God for that. And he hasn't called me to be you. Right? And somewhere we have to become comfortable in the identity that God has given us, the call that he's placed on our lives, and to walk in that well-fitted. Right? Because you know what happens if I were to happen to wear Crocs like Clarks for too long? If I were to try to wear those things and walk for my, you know what ends up happening? How about some blisters? How about some discomfort? You know why that is? It's because I'm wearing shoes that don't belong to me. And so when we, spiritually speaking, try to wear the shoes that belong to another person, what ends up happening, man, is we end up calloused, blistered, uncomfortable, typically not accomplishing what we should be doing. He says, the scripture says, get your provisions ready. Now, if you're Joshua, he says this because in three days, man, you're about to make this move. Now, getting your provisions ready is almost a demonstration, an illustration in your life's of your confidence in what God has said. For example, when the word goes out to the people, get your provisions ready, the individuals that respond immediately by getting their provisions ready are individuals who are in stride with the purpose and intent of God of crossing the Jordan in three days. You understand what I'm saying? They are literally, by getting their provisions ready, they are literally saying, it's time to move. I'm all in. Now, do you think everyone in the nation got their provisions ready on day one? If you know the church, you know it's not true. There were some probably gathering provisions late into day one, some early, some early into day two, some late into day two, some early into day three, some late into day three. But the window of time was three days. And it doesn't really make any difference to me whether you get it in one day, two days, or three days. If God's allotted those three days for time of preparation, you need to have your preparations, your provisions ready by that third day. Because it's moving time. And whenever we respond to God like that, we are saying, I'm with God's purpose. It's kind of like the, the, the old um, allegory that I had heard told where, where the, uh, the preacher and, and his church was in a, in a vast famine and, and a drought and whatnot. And so he had called the whole uh, community together, the whole church together, and they were going to have a prayer service. You guys have heard this. They were going to have a prayer service for, for God to break through the drought and for rain to fall. It said as hundreds of people begin to gather in the church to pray for rain, the pastor began to recognize that there were a handful of people who had brought umbrellas into the church. And so upon uh, in embracing uh, uh, the course of prayer, he stops the entire gathering and asks everyone without umbrellas to go home. And he said, I want only those who anticipated rain, only those who thought enough to bring umbrellas, I only want those people praying because these people are expecting rain. And so you can imagine... As the confidence in Joshua begins to rise, I can only imagine as people begin to get provisions ready, you begin to see it. You can experience You know how this works. He says, three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in. He designates this area in which they're going. 
to cross the Jordan. And during the harvest time, that area right there is at flood stage. And that's the time that it was. The Jordan is at flood stage. It is the widest, the deepest, and the strongest the currents will ever be in the Jordan is during flood stage. And what Joshua says to them is, I know circumstances aren't going to be favorable. I understand the Jordan is at flood stage, but this is the place that God has called us to cross the Jordan. We're crossing here, is what he said. In the deepest, widest, and strongest of opposition in the water. Why is that? Because none of that matters to God. It's only strong, deep, and wide to us. It isn't too strong, too deep, or too wide for God. And so he tells them, I know it's not advantageous. I know it's not, but this is where we're crossing. And this is what he says. He says, three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. And is a coordinating conjunction, Right? It's used to connect words of the same part of speech, clauses or sentences, basically that are, are, that are to be taken together. I know you say, oh, okay, Trent, let's get out of English 101. Let's get back into the scripture. So when he says and, the reading of that scripture should and could sound exactly like this. The sentence could read, you will cross the Jordan and you will take possession of the land. That's pretty resolved, is it not? That is a resolved statement that Joshua is making. All possibility of failure has escaped the heart and mind of Joshua. This is an absolute resolve. This will be accomplished. Well, why is that? Why is that? It's in the next verse. And this is what the scripture says. You will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. Listen, this is the reason for the resolve of Joshua. The Lord your God has given you is giving you for your own. He's literally saying this isn't something that we're going to have to manipulate, scheme, or work out on our own. This is something that God is going to do. He's basically saying the reason my resolve is what it is, I recognize that it's God doing the heavy lifting. Who's doing the heavy lifting in your life? When you reach those places, the widest places, the deepest places, the strongest places of adversity, opposition, Who's doing the heavy lifting? Why is it so deep? Why is it so wide? Why is it so strong? Could it very well be that you're trying to do the heavy lifting yourself? How many of you have tried to do heavy lifting like this? Spiritual heavy lifting only to realize it's beyond your strength to do. And God, as his sons and daughters in his kingdom, God desires to do the heavy lifting in your life, and he desires to do the heavy lifting in my life. And Joshua recognizes this. Then all of a sudden, things shift drastically. Now, if you're just reading through Joshua chapter 1, you don't get this. You've probably read this. I, heard, I had a gentleman in my small group tell me tonight, he said, Trent, I'm already in chapter 5. He's going to hold my feet to the fire. He says, I'm reading ahead of you. I'm going to catch you. Boy, you better get it right up or I'll call you out right in front of everybody. That's probably what he was thinking. But I'm telling you, man, when we read through the scripture, there's times that we don't understand something, so we just kind of depart from it. But that's not what's happening here. There is something, something so significant happening in this portion of the scripture that you and I need to know, so we're going to dig into it. And this is what the scripture says. Now remember, this is still Joshua speaking to the officers. Because now he says, this is what you're to command when you go through the camp. But, so this isn't Joshua all of a sudden getting um, uh, an a, a audience with the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, which would account for probably three, 400,000 people. That's not what happens here. When he says, but... He's still in communication with the officers who are disseminating this information. And this is what he says. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now the half-tribe of Manasseh, we know who that is, right? 
Remember, the Levites aren't given a tribe. They're the servants of God. Joseph's tribe is then split between Ephraim and Manasseh, his two sons, who were basically adopted by Jacob, right? So we lose one tribe with Levi. We gain it back with Ephraim. And then we get the other tribe, Joseph being Manasseh. So you still have 12 at this moment. And Joshua said, now check this out. Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land? Man, this thing's about to, this thing's about to get crazy. And we don't even know it's crazy. We have no idea it's crazy. Because we're just reading through it. This thing is set up crazy. Listen. So Joshua, I'm going I'm to preface all this. Listen. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land and the Lord your God has given you for your own. But to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and jo- Joshua said, what? Remember the command that Moses, servant of the Lord, gave you. Why would he say something different to them? I'm going to tell you why. The nation wasn't solid, man. We had a group of people within the nation that were about to tap out. As a matter of fact, they had already made provisions to tap out, had already come into an agreement had been given some level of leniency based upon their own desires to tap out, even though it would cost them in the long run. Did you know this? Did you know this took place? It's described in Numbers chapter 32. Listen to what it says. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land of Jazir and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, that's being Aaron's son, and to the leaders of the community and said to Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrod, these are all places, Hishbon, Elaale, Simbam, Nebo, and beyond, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel. They said this, they said, all of this land are suitable for livestock. And your servants have livestock. That's what they said. They said, hey, I know the Jordan's over there. The promise is over there. But, hey, we're livestock people. And, man, this ground over here, man, it is fertile and it's green. It's advantageous for our livestock. Reasoning amongst themselves. You know what does Proverbs 3, 5 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Right? And lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge him. What? in all your ways, and he shall direct your path. All of a sudden, man, they take this shift, man, by just seeing with their eyes this ground that is just beautiful, advantageous for their their livestock. And they're like, hey, 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 we want that. I know God wants us to have this, but I want this. That's what happens. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Listen to this. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Do not make us cross. You know what they were saying? We know you guys are crossing the Jordan, the other nine and a half. We don't want to cross the Jordan. But we will live on the border town. We will live on the edge of the Jordan. We will live close. We'll be in proximity. We'll we'll still be able to email and text. We'll be able to call you and and shout across the river, even though it's deep, wide, and difficult. We'll be close. We may not be there, but we'll be close. Don't make us cross the Jordan. Now listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. And Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? Now let me say something right here on this script before we read any further. You know what Moses knew and what Joshua knows? Is that those two and a half tribes going over the Jordan isn't going to be the determining factor in the victory. The victory is going to be determined by God. He doesn't need the numbers. That's Gideon. Right? But you know what they did have the power to do by withholding their presence on the other side of the Jordan? You know what they had the power to do, Gus? Discourage the rest of the nation from crossing over. 
What they had the power to do was to influence them and to discourage them from crossing over into the place where God desired to be active in their life. That is pretty stout. To the degree that Moses' response to them was like this. You know what Moses said to them? He called them a brood of vipers, brood of sinners. Very similar to what Jesus said about the religious leaders of his day. He says, this is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea, talking about the spies, to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. That's what he's saying. He's saying, your actions may deter their confidence. And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my goodness. What if your actions are deterring the confidence of your children? What if your lack of faith to go into that promise possessive, that land that God has given you to possess, what if your lack of confidence has an out, a, a reach far greater than you can even begin to anticipate? I pray as a dad, there's a heavy burden on me as a dad, that I would never be the agent who creates barriers between my son and my daughter, my granddaughter, my family, in believing and trusting God for all what God has for them. If I cannot be a man who lives by faith and trusts God for the bigger and the greater and the more fulfilling thing in his purposes, if I cannot be that, at, at least, oh God, allow me the humility to lay myself before my children, if for no other thing than a bridge by which they can cross over into the deeper things that you have for them. And Moses is saying to them, this is what your fathers did to us 40 years ago. Ten spies came back and rained on the confidence of a nation and cheated them out of what God had for them for 40 years. Moses said, the Lord's anger burned against you, Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation of those who have done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the... Why were they sinners? Why did, why did he call them sinners? Because they were not willing to trust God. And not only were they willing, not willing to trust God, they were hijacking the confidence of those who would trust God. You brood of sinners, Moses says. Standing in the place of your fathers, making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the wilderness and will cause, and, will, and you will be the, you will be the cause of their destruction. Wow. And you know what they said to Moses? Oh, 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 hold on, Moses. You, you're not getting this. You're not getting this. Let, let me explain our strategy, Moses. Then they came up to him and said, hey, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children. Do you see that? Do you see that? Notice their mindset. What are they protecting and fortifying first? Building pens for their livestock. And while we're doing that, man, we'll make cities for our women and our children too. But we will arm ourselves. This is what they say. We will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children, listen to this disgusting statement. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land as though those fortified cities could protect them better than God could protect them. You know, that's what they're saying. I don't know what's on the other side of that river. I don't know that we can trust God. We just watched 85 people every day die for 40 years in this wilderness. I don't know that I can trust God. Let us fortify the cities. Let us protect our own. But we'll go on over and fight. And you know what the conclusion was? This was the agreement. The agreement was this, that they would go over, fight in the land of Jordan, the armed men would, and would then be allowed to return to the border town 
after the rest of Israel had achieved the rest and their possession. That was the agreement. That was the agreement. Then Moses said to them, if you will do this, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. That's what Moses said to them. And that's in, that's in, that's in uh, verse 22. Did you, did you notice anything about that verse right there? You will be free from your what? Obligation? Obligation? Is that what this is in our lives as we follow God? An obligation? You'll be free from your obligation, your debt. Is that how we view our relationship with God? This was really a trust issue. And it starts to play out right there in Joshua chapter 1. The crazy thing about that is that they were faithful to fight. They actually do cross the river and fight. But you know what they're fighting for? To return. Because they can't return until the rest of the nation achieves the rest. Their motivation isn't to honor God. Their motivation is to get back where they want to be. And that would be accomplished only if they fight and when they fight and when they achieve victory. And instead of staying in the promised land, they're able to go back. And they do go back. All right, back to Joshua chapter 1. But this is what he says to them. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Now, remember, in the very beginning of that conversation, the half tribe of Manasseh wasn't even involved in it. Did you see that? What do you think's taking place over that period of time? You think they're in some whispering to have some come along with them? You think there wasn't some influence upon the half tribe of Manasseh to where they wanted to be included as well by the time this thing materializes? They're, they're in it too. Joshua said, remember the, the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Listen, and this is what happens. Now watch this. This is happening. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. This is in Joshua chapter 1. And until they too have taken possession of the land your God is giving them, after that you may go back and occupy your land which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. At the very beginning of the scripture, you know what they say? You know what, you know what Joshua says? We'll stay on the, in the border town. You know what he says? We'll stay and never come into the promised land. Do you know what he says? Your wives, your children... And even your possessions will never enter into this. You have to leave that in the border town. He says, after that you may go back and occupy your land. The reality is this, and this is probably applicable in the church. Even though those guys go into the promised land, man, and they fight. I mean, they're engaged, man. They're, ge they're geographically in the promised land. But spiritually, they're still in the border town. Right? Churches are full today of people who are geographically in the church. <laughs> but their hearts, man, oh, man. Their hearts, man, are far away living in border towns. I see your stuff, man, on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about? I checked in at the Driven Church. You know what I'm talking about? You'll see that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Where your little tracking system's on your, on your phone or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? Am I the, no one knows what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? I checked in. I checked in. I'm there. But not really. Not really. I'm just there physically. Spiritually, emotionally, I'm not engaged. I'm not present, right? 
And that's what these people were. They were fighting, man. But they were not really present. And then he says, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll close with this thought. Uh, on, we'll close that thought with this. Jesus says something in Matthew 15, 7 and 8, and you guys know this. He says, these people honor me with their lips. You know, geographically they're here, but their hearts remain far from me. Remember, Jesus says that. But you know, Jesus is actually quoting Ezekiel. And what Ezekiel says is this. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouths they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. You know what Ezekiel was saying? Eh, they over here fight and fight. But their hearts are still in the border. Right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now here's something incredible. That little border town that they occupy, generations later it resurfaces. And these are some of the descendants of Gad, the Gadites. Well, there's another region where the, and it's the same region, where the Gadites ultimately, generations later, partially occupied. You know what that area was called? Gadara. Gadara. You know what was taking place in Gadara? You remember when Jesus slid into Gadara? The Gadarenes, some translations, Gerasenes, the same place. You know what was happening there? Some demons possessed people. You remember that? Remember Jesus rolling into Gadara? Remember? Getting off the boat and counters. One, one gospel will reference it as one man. Another gospel references it as two. I believe it was two. The one gospel writer only acknowledged or identified the one. It doesn't mean there wasn't two. So it's not a contradiction. But he encounters these men who were possessed by a legion, uh, possessed by demons. And you know what Jesus does in Gadara, in this same area, this same border town? You know what Jesus does? He casts out demons from the descendants of Gad to some degree who are now pig farmers. How are, how are people who have some connection as descendants of Gad becoming pig farmers? But they're pig farmers. And Jesus cast out demons out of these men, throw them into these pigs, and these pigs run off the mountainside. Remember that? And then the people of Gadara show up, and you know what they tell Jesus? you got to leave. You're costing us our livestock. The Christ, Yoshua Mashiach, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, had entered in to the border town and the people of the border town still valued the livestock greater than God's presence. And looks at Jesus and says, man, you need to boat back up and hit the road, man. Over a herd of pigs. This refusal to cross over and to be committed to the purpose of God has a generational reach. And now I'll really close. Listen to this. And then they answered Joshua. Now, this isn't those tribes. Get it? You're not going to have two million people or 400,000 answering him simultaneously. Could you imagine, though, if you could synchronize 200,000, half a million people? It'd be a beautiful sound, wouldn't it not? Especially what they're about to say. But these are the leaders. Now, we know that these are the leaders. I'm going to tell you how we know. By what they say. Because what they say isn't applicable to the mass of people. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. We'll go through the camp. We'll tell them whatever you say. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Now, that would be hyperbole in revisual history if that were a response from the general masses of people. Because guess what the general masses of people didn't do? 
They didn't obey Moses. Why do you think they've been out there for 40 years? But the leaders that were chosen, handpicked by Moses, the tens, the fifties, the hundreds, the thousands, these were probably, as the scripture would say, commendable men, notable men of character, good men. And so then, all of a sudden, that scripture makes complete sense when they say, you know we obeyed Moses, and you can have the same confidence that we'll obey you. But Joshua, you need to do one thing for us. And here's the caveat. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. <laughs> Let me read that again. Only may the Lord, listen, your God. You know what he's saying? <laughs> Moses own it. Or Joshua own it like Moses owned it. That's all we're asking. You know what they're saying as followers and understudies of Joshua? Be a man of God. You're God. Possess him like Moses possessed him. Be committed to him like Moses was committed to him. And, he said, and they say, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. And then they quote the very words of God to Joshua. And they say, to you, only be strong and courageous. Do you know what they're saying right there? You honor God and we'll honor you and we'll trust that whatever God has determined for us on the other side of the Jordan, we'll trust it as you trust it. And we'll cross it when you cross it. And you command it as God commands it. But we need you, Joshua, to man up. To man up and be courageous. And that's what our families, that's what our church, our fellow brothers and sisters are asking of all of us who call upon the name of Jesus. They're not asking us to be perfect. They're not asking us to be perfect. You know what we should be asking one another? Just be strong and be courageous. Because what you do not realize is that the fixed man is in. And God is desiring to give and show and demonstrate his goodness, his beauty, if we'll only cross over and be obedient. Man, there's so much we miss by not crossing over whatever threshold or barrier presents itself in our life. God has it for us. Okay, I'm going to discredit myself real quick. But it'll, it'll only be momentarily. Momentary. Some of you know I, I had a cousin uh, who was a professional wrestler. I've told this story to some of you guys before. He was a professional wrestler. Okay, Now his wrestling name was Chief Danny Little Bear. <laughs> All right, he was an Indian from a reservation in Oklahoma City. His real name was Danny Underwood. He was from Mount Sherman, Kentucky, and he didn't have a drop of Indian in him, okay? All right, now we know this, okay? But in that industry, and I just want you to stay with me and just don't shut me off because I'm talking about something so foolish as professional wrestling, even though my, me and my brother, I've got one man who's listening to me this morning. He's locked in now. He's locked in. But, in the world of professional wrestling, wrestling, as ignorant as it is, there's three major players that play a part in the success of the given industry. There is the heel, which is the bad guy, right? And then there's the baby face, which is the... Boy, I was waiting, boy. You were like, I can't say it. You don't know. I watch it. The heel, bad guy, baby face, good guy. Now, what we do know... I hope, is that the outcome of every match is predetermined. And for those of you who don't know, here's a box of tissues. <laughs> Comfort yourself. It is predetermined, right? So it doesn't matter whether the heel wants to win or the baby face wants to win. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. There is no element of competition involved in this display of athleticism. There is no real competition. 
The only one that really matters in this is the story writer, the script writer, who is the one who carries the pen to determine the predetermined outcome. So the success of the baby face and the success of the heel is contingent upon one thing. They're carrying out the desires of the script writer. So they succeed not by beating or pinning the other, but by honoring the mind and creativity of the script writer who has written out the end. And if they want to succeed in the industry, they do not worry about competition. They worry about honoring the script writer. That is the fix. There has never been a greater fix in the annals of human history for you and I who are both baby faces and heels to honor than the great scriptwriter, that being God, who has predetermined, he has written the outcome. If you and I would only be willing to honor him when he says, this is what I'll do, this is what I've got, if you will do this, we can have success by God's standard and live in God's goodness, God's mercy, God's provision, God's protection. When we look at him as the majestic scriptwriter and say, I'm walking across this and it doesn't matter whether I win or lose because you've determined that in winning and losing, I win. In winning and losing, I win. Isn't that what Jesus said? A man who seeks to gain his life, listen, must lose it. <laughs> I love the, the words of the song, Ever Loser. I said, John, who, who was it? It was a audio adrenaline. Audio adrenaline. Said, Every loser gets a crown. And what God has called us to be are just simple baby faces and heels who make a concession of our own desires to concede to the script that our God has said. There was promise and provision. and All that was waiting for them. And two and a half tribes, listen to this, two and a half tribes never discover that. You know what ends up happening? They abandon the script writer. They abandon the magnificent penmanship of the author. They abandon all that. And did you know when the Babylonians come and the Assyrians come, you know which group goes into captivity first? Do you want to guess? Those east of the Jordan. They were the first. Ten years Ten years earlier, they were taken into captivity, into bondage. You remember what they had said earlier? We'll build fortified cities. Well, how fortified were they when you're being drug off into bondage? Why do you think God wanted you to cross over the Jordan River where a natural protective line he had established, even to the degree that he splits it to allow you to walk across it, only to close it back up for your protection. And so you and I, I know it's been a long sermon, right? I know, I get it. I get it. But we're here at the end of Joshua chapter 1. And so the question that you and I have got to answer today is are we going to trust him? To move forward. Are we going to concede to him whatever role he wants us to play in it, Mark? Heel or baby face? <laughs> right? I'm okay with it. To win or lose in the eyes of the world, I, I don't care. I just want to win in the eyes of God. That's the questions you and I have got to answer this morning, right? And you know where those questions are going to be answered? Can be answered where you sit, where you stand. 
But you know where they're really going to be answered? They're going to be answered out there, man. They're going to be answered out there. They're going to be answered in your home. They're going to be answered in your workplaces. They're going to be answered in the doctor's office. They're going to be answered at Walmart. They're going to be answered at Home Depot. That's when the questions are really going to be answered. So I pose that question to you. What's your choice this morning? Are you a temporary warrior? I'll cross over until I get the things I want, then I'm going back. Or am I in this thing to the end, man? To the end. I would say to you, subscribe to being in it to the end. Yeah. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask Carrie just to come for a moment, just a moment. You know how, how good God was? God allowed them to occupy that land. He gave them victory over certain groups of people in that land. And there was provisions in that land. And that's what they wanted, and God let them have it. But in the long run, man, it costs them severely. And you know what God's not going to do? He's not going to arm bar you. He's not going to make you. He sets before you a choice. And the choice is quite simple. It's a choice of life or death, man. He sets before you a choice, life or death. What's your choice? What's your choice? Carrie's going to lead us in a little worship. A little worship. And you answer those questions in your own heart. If you want to pray, you can pray. You can pray around these altars. You can pray where you stand. You can pray where you sit. But I just want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity.